Stamp No Tap podcast. I'm Tony Cicchini, and we're here with, of course, the one and only Joe Cardinal and Martin Witkowski's joining us, pulling let him out. Um, and we have a very special guest returning once again, the great, the one and only, nobody has hair like him, Russell Stutley. So, what's up, Joe? Take it from here. Welcome, welcome. Well, this is exciting. This is our 101st episode. We're just coming off of a big episode, our 100th episode. Um, and we had a lot of positive feedback. So thank you, everybody, for posting all the, the, the great comments online for that. And honestly, how else can we follow up that act with none other than Russell Stutley, who's probably our returning champion. He's been here, I count, at least three episodes. So he's got definitely sets the record for most times on the show and well-deserved. Hello, Russell. Oh, hi, Joe, Tony, Martin. <clears throat> you can't get rid of me, can you? Very <laughs> <laughs> hard you try. I keep knocking on the door. Yeah. I think on uh, Saturday Night Live, you get like a special jacket if you make five appearances. So I wonder if there's a gift coming your way. As, as long as it's not top wrist lock, we'll be all right. Uh, <laughs> or, well, never mind. I'm not going to say anything else. But, uh, yeah, there's a few. There's a couple other things that you can't get ever get rid of. So, um, <laughs> or a nice little syrup, then I've had like <laughs> right. So, what's up, Russell? T- tell us how are things in Cambodia? It's all good, it's bloody hot. I don't mind telling you, it's we've had a bit of a heat wave. We had it 50 odd centigrade the other week for a few days. That was quite warm when you're training, don't mind. That was hard, but other than that. Same old, same old. Training. A few other people keep coming and training with us, and then they disappear, and then other people turn up. Stuff like that. And just enjoying the warm weather and the lifestyle. It's all good. All good. Training hard. Trying to, anyway. Not so easy as you get older. Well, Martin's got dozens and dozens of questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, because Martin's on a roll about this stuff. So, Martin, why don't you uh, start with the questions? Well, I'm I'm not like super familiar with Russell, but I did like do a little bit of a Google search, and I, I noticed that you seem to be focusing a lot on uh, training and uh, striking and maybe boxing. Is that really kind of your your focus, Russell? Just to recap, like, you might have covered this before in a previous episode. I consider boxing um, the best base for the delivery system, if you like of striking because in my mind there's no better strikers than boxers simple as that and if you understand boxing properly you can adapt it for self-defense you can adapt it for all sorts of things you can adapt it to sports combat kickboxing tie boxing into mma as long as you understand 
boxing properly. And then when you add in stuff like, you know, I know Tony does the striking as well, but aside from that, if you add in Tony's stuff on the other side of the uh, equation, the non-striking stuff, let's say for, for a moment, then what else do you need? It's that simple. But most people don't understand boxing. They think, you know, they look at an MMA fight and they go, oh, he's a good striker. And then you put him against a boxer and he ain't. Just look at last weekend, you got... Anderson Silva, who was revered as the best striker they've ever seen in MMA, up against a, a 6-0 first-time boxer and got beat. That, that tells you the level. It's, yeah, in, indeed. And I always look at those kinds of matchups and see what the, the Vegas odds are, right? Because people are like, oh, you know, Anderson Silva will just decimate this guy. He's so accomplished but the odds were close you know yeah. like uh the you know money talks bullshit walks uh, and fundamentally yeah. people that had money on the line thought this might be a close fight yeah i mean i keep saying and people don't believe me that the striking in mma is good for mma but when it comes to boxing it's no good it's that simple we had one here i mentioned it before I can't say his name because it's not fair on him, but he's in the top 10 UFC lightweight. And he did a, only a spa, but he was sparring with one of my mates who only trains with me. He's not being coached by me, he just trains with me. And he's only been training with me for about three or four months. And the UFC guy couldn't land a punch on him and quit. And I didn't believe him when he said he was in the UFC. Like, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> nice one. And then he gave me his... Facebook Messenger thing, you know, Facebook. And um, it is, I couldn't believe it. And he's one knockout of the night and stuff like that. I was going, because at times I think maybe their striking's all right. And then something like that happens, I go, no, it's not. It's good I, for Emma, don't, don't deny that, but not for boxing. Right. Hey, Tony, I, I sent you the clip from that Anderson Silva fight when uh, Jake Paul lands a, a pretty respectable looking combination and you know like my impression is that i've never seen something that sophisticated in mma i know mean, jake paul is you know a, a neophyte boxer but he's certainly putting a lot of time in it. and you know what, what did you think about that yeah i mean it was the clip was three seconds but yeah right uh you know i, I forgot how it was now but it was like a yeah it was like a yeah i guess you would call it sophisticated i mean for boxing it was standard you know it was uh nothing uh um you know exemplary but yeah he did he did it right i you know in in ufc's or mma's defense you know i think because they're concerned with the kicks or they're concerned with getting grabbed and taken down i mean that may have something to do with it but still in in this instance that that shouldn't have landed the way it did, right? It was just a lack of good for Jake Paul. He did he did great. So it was nothing against him. He did excellent. I'm not sure that would have worked against uh, a boxer that was the same age as Anderson Silva. I I just I don't I don't know if it would have. Well, I, I think we've got to get some perspective on that, Jake Paul. Right? He's six and zero. He's, he's had six fights. That's it. If he was a nobody, 
not a YouTuber, if he was a, just a normal guy coming up in boxing, nobody would even be mentioning him and no one would say, oh, he's this, that. He's just another fighter that's had six fights. Just another average Joe Schmo when it comes to boxing. He's, he's, he's just okay. But when you consider what he's done in front of thousands of people in the audience, potentially millions online, blah, 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 with all the fanfare and everything else, all the pressure that's there, setting it all up, doing it all up. I think he's done amazing, really. All right, he's, 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 you can argue who he's picked or whatever, but he's still very much a complete novice boxer. And you've got a complete novice boxer knocking out world champion or former world champion UFC fighters. And regardless of what you think, it's bloody difficult to knock somebody out. Yeah, it's decimating for the UFC fighters. It's There's no way to spin it, you know. Yeah, great, great for Jake Paul all the way. And yeah. it's... It's a blight. It's an embarrassment for UFC. Only, and ordinarily it wouldn't be. It it would not be, okay? But UFC is ultimate fighting champions. You know, uh, that's the problem. The market them is, you know, something that they're they're clearly not. But what it is, when that happens, then you have to look at it as where else could they get, you know, snuffed? I mean, I... I mean, I thought it was a big red flag when um, uh, Brock Lesnar, after, what, four or five MMA fights, wins the whole UFC, you know. Um, and he was a you know, great wrestler, but he wasn't an Olympic champion. This, again, is not a knock on Brock. I'm calling facts on this. He never won the Olympics. He wasn't even actively wrestling any longer. He was doing pro wrestling, what have you. And, yeah, he pretty much walked in there and, you know, won the whole damn thing. And, you know, none of this is flattering, you know, for for the UFC. I mean, it's almost like having a a baseball player that can swing a bat like this winning Wimbledon Cup, you know, the the tennis, you know, because it's a similar motion. Yeah, it it just – yeah, it's – to me, it just – it's unprecedented. I, I I don't know any other sport where something like that's happened. I well, think- they hype it up so well. I mean, it's it's like, you know, when they're doing that crap with McGregor and Mayweather, and I just said it's just a, it's just a show. It's not a... Yeah, that was pretty much work, yeah. Well, Mayweather take him out whenever he feels like it. it yeah. People were fooled by it, and Mayweather just carried it through and made millions. Don't blame him because they can get away. But not long before that, they were talking about Silver against Roy Jones Jr. Can you imagine, you know, Jake Paul beats him. Can you imagine what the likes of Roy Jones would have done to him if he felt like it? Well, Roy and his, Roy Jones in his prime, yeah, now he's all... But yeah, I yeah. get it. No, I, I, yeah, I, I can remember there was another... Uh, yes, I, I get what you're saying. Um but the difference is what fans think yeah. is one thing. You know, fans are always going to have their, you know, uh, pie-in-the-sky uh, kind of belief system. But when you have an organization backing it up, listen, this is all about making money. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that That's exactly what it is. And that's fine if you label it strictly as an exhibition 
let's say to for charity or you know a fundraiser but these are you know being you know passed off as um you know legit things yeah it, it, it's it's kind of rough uh i don't know man i don't even i don't even know what to say about it but all i can tell you is imagine like certain self defense situations when you're not even trained for self defense and you think okay well i can handle this now you're talking about two or three on one or weapons i don't know man you i don't i don't think you're prepared that's uh, my my take on it I mean, with that silver, a couple of fights ago, he beat that Chavez Jr., who's a former world champion boxing. Now, whether he trained or whatever, but he beat him. So everyone was going on about how he's a world-class boxer now. Then Jake Paul smashes him up, and all of a sudden he's he's a has-been, too old, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 because they won't give Jake Paul any credit which I think is unfair considering he's just a novice boxer, just beat up the legend of MMA. But no one wants oh, to... Hold no, on. All, all the credit to Jake Paul or his, his trainers and him, yeah. And this is... And no, you know, I don't have a dog in a fight. You know, what? Yeah, what? Yeah. Joe, you know, what? The, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. No, it's just interesting that earlier, Russell, you brought, or one of you guys brought up Roy Jones Jr. because that's exactly what I was thinking about uh, a little bit with Anderson Silver, not saying that their fighting styles are similar, um, but no, they're not. <laughs> I remember you saying, Tony, that, you know, Roy Jones did rely on his attributes a lot. And as he got older, that started to catch up with him. You know, a lot of the risks he was taking. And I think, and again, I'm just kind of superficial watching Anderson Silver fight. And I didn't see this last fight, but that was my impression a lot with his earlier fights when he was younger is that, I mean, you know, his hands were down. He was putting his chin out there, kind of taunting people to throw punches. And that is not a style that's not going to last you well into your middle age. You know, that's something you do as a young man, as a fighter. Uh, but your reflexes go. You've mentioned this before, Tony, on the podcast. Um, and again, no slight against who he was up against, um, you know, but definitely I'm sure and I'm sure, yeah, he's, you know, I'm not, I don't know Anderson's boxing skill, but he, I, my impression of him as a fighter is that he relied a lot on his attributes, his, his reflexes and things like that. And I mean, it's just sad to me because I think he should have retired a long time ago. You know, I re, it's not so much a, a stylistic thing. It's just kind of one of those, oh, that's unfortunate that, you know, and I got guys got to make money and, and eat and stuff, but um, that's just more proof that, you know, at least that was my thinking. But when hearing about it on paper, it doesn't surprise me that he was taken out regardless of who he was fighting, that he, that his, you know, his great athleticism that he relied on, I think when he was younger, uh, was just, it was, you know, was starting to fail him towards the end of his uh, MMA career. And, it, and it's probably now, yeah, hopefully this is it for him. Hopefully he's seen the writing on the wall, but um, anyways, that's just some impressions I had on the fight or whatever. I also was thinking, Russell, you know, because we Martin doesn't know a lot about your background. And we've and, and, and like I said, it's been a while since we did a podcast. I wanted to talk because not only do you do boxing, but you also incorporate um, some of like some of your Asian martial arts training and pressure point attacks into your boxing. Can you describe that a little bit? I mean, quite simply, it's just everybody's heard of acupuncture, stuff like that. So just acupressure is healing with your hands and pressing on all these different points and stuff like that. 
and fighting with it is smacking crap out of them, basically. It really is that simple. People try to make it too convoluted and they come out with all the different names, and stuff, which I can keep up with on all of that. I know all the theory behind it, but and they make it too difficult to understand. And it is, as long as you understand striking properly and you understand grappling properly, then you can use them. If you don't understand your striking properly or your grappling properly, then you can't use them. So all these people who, I did a thing the other week about people saying pressure points don't work. I said, they don't, because you don't know what you're doing. And I, we, I proved it to people with having somebody, you know, here's the point, press on it as hard as you can, nothing happens. Therefore, pressure points don't work. Prove it. And then, go on the point, but do it properly, pressure points do work. What it is, it's a basic, simple thing, is that when the people look at a diagram where you say it's just here or just there or just there or whatever, they're on the surface of everything. You know, we all know in striking that you've got to go through the target. People say through the target, but they don't do it. You see it all the time, even in high-level boxing, even when people do like EMF defence, as soon as the glove hits the arm, the punch stops. You see it with kicks in MMA. The kick goes up, hits the arm and stops on the arm. Why don't they kick through it? So you're told to strike through the target. So that when you press, I'll just say it's a press. You're not going to press, you're going to hit it. But for demonstration purposes, you press. If you press through the target, the point works. If you press on the target, it doesn't work because the point's underneath. It's not on the surface of the skin. So there's an easy, basic way of thinking about it. If you punch somebody and stop on their jaw, nothing's going to happen. If you punch them right through the jaw, you've got a chance of knocking them out. But you see it all the time. People go on the target and go, oh, it's not working. Well, of course it's not. You're not actually hitting it, are you? Does... When you incorporate pressure point targets into your boxing, does it, from a trained eye or maybe even an untrained eye, does, does the boxing begin to look a little bit different? Like do maybe the combinations look slightly different because you're targeting different areas that maybe a traditional boxer might not? No, you're still targeting the Boxers know the areas. They've always known them, but they don't necessarily call the name of the points. It's like Tony knew most of the point stuff when we met up years and years ago, maybe not knew the names, wouldn't know the names of from a Chinese medicine perspective, but knows what works. And that's more important. Most people start teaching the names and they get people confused and they go, fire this, metal that, wood that, and burn that, do this. They go, what? And I say, just hit them just there. But it, it, it's not so much, when you look at boxes that really do knock people out, I'm sort of about putting to sleep out. When the strike goes in, let's take a backhand for, for argument's sake, across. It's taught normally it goes straight out and straight back. Nothing wrong with that, of course it works. But you look at people who really knocked them out, the punch goes out and it, it arcs down, it, it drops down. You look at Tommy Hearns, you look at um, Marciano, Lennox Lewis, George Foreman, the list goes on and on and on. Everybody who's got that big knockout power. The punch doesn't go straight out and straight back. It goes through them, right through them, right through to the elbow or further, and at an angle. And it's that angulation that makes all the difference. And so it is with the pressure point stuff. You've got to punch through to your elbow and have that angulation. 
and the real true knockout boxers have got that angulation. Even on their hooks, people talk about the hook and it's got to go straight, straight across, parallel to the floor. Again, you look at the people who had the greatest left hooks and stuff like that. There was an angle to it. Look at Bob Foster, one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. When he hooked and really knocked people out, there was an angulation to it every single time. And it's uh, Oscar de la Hoya, great left hook. Again, angulation to it when the, when the knockouts happen. And I'm talking about really knocking them out, not just stunning them. I'm talking about finishing people off. The, the, when you go parallel to the floor, of course it works, but it, it's normally the, the reticular shake of the head that gives the knockout, and it's the power that's going through, as, as well as you know the, the leverage that you get as you get towards the point of the chin. When you add in the, the correct angulation with it, not only do you get the reticular shake, but you get the activation of the points, or if you don't believe in points, you get a better reticular shape. And then you get an easier knockout and a deeper knockout. Now, it doesn't mean that you hit lighter. It means that you get a better reaction. Of course, you want to hit as hard as you possibly can. But you've got to get all of these little things in place for it to work. If you know that there's a point that knocks people out, boxers know it on the, on the side of the chin. If you hit it and stop on it, it's, nothing's going to happen. It's that simple. But if you hit correctly right the way through and punch right the way through up to your elbow, you've got a good chance of knocking them out. And it, it's similar if you're using it in, in grappling, you're on the floor, and we use it to turn the head because this, if you touch here, it, the sternocleidomastoid muscles in the neck weaken. So it enables you to turn the head so you can do all sorts of things. But if you just press on it, nothing happens. But if you go through it, the head turns. It's that simple. But most people do it wrong and they go like that. The guy doesn't work. And then they say it doesn't work, but it, it doesn't work for them because they don't know what they're doing. So, well, you can prove anything doesn't work if you can't fucking, oh, sorry, if you can't do it. <laughs> if you've got the worst jab in the world, you don't fair around say jabs don't work. <sighs> I just proved it. I just did a jab and nothing happened. You twat. Of course it doesn't work. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. It's like if somebody said, I tried a top wrist lock, copying Tony's way, but did it wrong. Go, oh, Tony's top wrist lock doesn't work. Therefore, all of his stuff doesn't work. No, you can't do it, you moron. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very well, well put. You know, just like, yeah. I mean, you could, well, you, uh, Gan Gable, who was a great collegiate wrestler and Olympian, he can make a video on a double leg takedown while watching the video. You doesn't mean you you can do it, and especially against high level wrestlers, you got to work at it. But you know that's very well put uh, about following through. Kind of like what, yeah, when you bring up the top wrist lock, it's like you got to twist all in essence all the way through. You got to you know, or you got to everything you have to do. You have to do it all the way through. You can't yeah. just touch it. That's really a good way of putting it, very articulate. Um, but, of course, I expect nothing less from someone like you. Um, <laughs> Being English. It's the British accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, but no, but seriously, it's, it, it's the truth. I was just mentioning something to somebody today about, at least here in America, it's, it's been a, a, it's a big phenomenon the last several years, it, it seems prominent, that, 
well, it's not my fault. It's this person or that person. It's always somebody else's fault, right? And saying like this, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did it right. It just doesn't work. No, maybe you have to look at it first like you did something wrong or you didn't follow the directions properly. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a really good way of putting it about touching as opposed to going all the way through. To me, it was clear, crystal clear when you said about, you know, like grappling when you're pushing or, uh, you know, pushing all the way through to move the head as opposed to just touching it. Yeah, you're not going to get anything, you know, or or you chop and you pull back. That's yeah. it's not going. It's not going to work, you know. But that's what they all do, and then say, "Oh, it doesn't work." Well, of course not. <laughs> You're not doing it. That's why it doesn't work. And but it, things like the punching through to the elbow. Old time boxers knew to punch right the way through. We say punch through to the elbow. So yeah, you, you land and right the way through. Today they're doing that. Bit like karate used to do, on and off. Yeah. And I blame people doing shitty pad work because they do all this and they hit the punch as it's coming in. Yeah. All right. With a body punch, it's going to stop on when it lands. But how many times have you punched somebody on the side of the jaw? Does your fist stop on it when you when you punch somebody properly? It goes right through. And on pads, they stop your punch all the time. So everybody's learning to stop their punch when they hit resistance. So they're up here doing all this shit, going bang, 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 and punches are stopping on it. And then people do cover up EMF defense, punch lands, and they, they stop on their arm. You know, what's, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you stop your punch? You know that there's got to be a follow-through. It's like if you're hitting a baseball and you go like that and you stop as soon as you as the ball lands. It's not going to go anywhere. You're playing golf and you go like that and you stop as soon as you touch the ball. Well, it's not going to go anywhere. And you think that in with a punch, you stop on the arm. Why? If they've covered up like that, why can't you just go wow, right the way through as hard as you possibly can? Or kick right the way through. And you see it, the kicks come up and they go back down again. They all stop. And I, I blame shit pad work and shit coaching because they're not teaching them to punch through the target. They're stopping on the target. I, uh, I still watch a lot of uh, sports and uh, you know, I'm a big fan of sports boxing. And I was just talking about this with Tony the other day. Uh, there was recently a fight with uh, Deontay Wilder and Robert Hellenius, which ended with really a, maybe a six-inch punch. And, and people were up in arms saying this fight was fake. This fight was fixed. There's no way heavyweights can go down with a six and punch. And in my mind, that was a brutal fight, brutal punch. It was insanely on target and insanely powerful, even though, yeah, it wasn't at the full extension of the motion. So, you know, like to me, that, that doesn't need to happen to your yeah. point. It went right through the target. Well, Tony mentions so many times on, on his DVDs, blah, 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 about putting your body weight into stuff. When you were talking about doing top wrist lock, just an example, Tony, I keep coming back to that. But when you were here, you were saying about use your hips and turn your whole body weight and pull it all the way across, and you're using your whole body weight to do it. Other people are just struggling with their arm. But when your whole body weight's behind it, it's so much more powerful. Well, with punching... It's the same thing, isn't it? 
most people are punching with their arm. Wilder on that punch and all of his, you know, all of his knockout punch, his body weight's behind it. And old-time boxers knew how to put their body weight behind a punch. The shoulders were engaged correctly so that the body weight could be behind it. You look at footage of Joe Lewis. He's here short range and there's amazing amounts of power considering his size and weight and the distance that he's traveling. And there's loads of power because he's got body weight behind it. And, and it comes back to this thing that we, we say things like, it might look the same, but it ain't. Somebody's doing a top wrist lock without the body weight. It might, somebody else looking, it might look the same as Tony doing it with body weight. The one that Tony does, people are tapping before he's even moved, aren't they? And the other guy's pulling and ripping and striking like crazy and still not getting it. And it's the same with striking. They could be throwing all day long and nothing happens. Then you got Wilder putting his body weight behind it, pop, and out they go. In fact, he says that a lot of his uh, punches are damaging to his own body because his body can't absorb the power of the, the punch. You know, like he has problems with his biceps and his arm, his hands breaking from the power of his punches. So yeah. you know, six, six inches is irrelevant. Yeah. But it, the, the, well, the, the, the skeletal structure isn't designed to take that much power. <laughs> you know, I mean, putting all of that just behind this, it's gonna get you're gonna get damaged, but yeah, it's worth it when you're making mega millions, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, yeah, but, I'll take a couple of broken knuckles. But boxing has always been known as a, the short, quick punch, the little, the little six inch. And in boxing, they use that number six inches. May not be exactly accurate, but that's what it is—that little short punch. Uh, and the other thing is, the opponent from that distance doesn't see it coming, so they can't brace for it. Uh, psychologically and physically, and it just makes makes it even more, uh, you know, startling. Um, so yeah, you don't want to, you don't have to come from like two feet away. You know? no. But today they're all they're all throwing big wide punches, aren't they? They're, they're, yeah, well, they're, they're not just anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, another thing is you want to always be on the acceleration. So for a six inch punch, more than likely it's. I mean, generally, it's probably still in the acceleration phase. That's that's a big point, as opposed yeah. to being decelerating. And yeah, you're right. Fighters who are coming from a mile away, part of that is like, um, uh, I would assume, not speaking in, uh, on anyone in particular, but just you're fighting from the outside. You're kind of uh, flamboyant, like showmanship. Uh, these are just, you know, bad habits and. You know, a guy who's got a quick, straight punch that steps in, he's going to beat you to that punch, yeah. and you kind of got a problem, you know. I, I also blame the coaches, Tony, because oh yeah, if, if you've got somebody throwing big, wide punches, why aren't you correcting them? Why aren't you teaching them and educating them into making their punches more compact? Because it's going to be a better punch, that simple. And why are they still teaching them to punch straight out and then come straight back, for example? I've mentioned this to people so many times because you mentioned acceleration, which is what I wanted to come on to. When, when they punch straight out and bring straight back, to be able to retract their punch to defend themselves again, they have to decelerate, you know, because their body weight's going forward, but with all the momentum going through, they've got to then stop the punch completely and then bring it back. 
So they have to decelerate in order to be able to bring the punch back. Now, I don't, people may not know what I mean, but if you take a, a, a triangle and you've got three directions from the, you know, you go A, B, and C, you go A to C, a straight line, you go A to B, A to C, and then you go in a parabolic curve to C, and you drop three ball bearings at the same time in these tubes, the parabolic curve gets there first, even though it's not as close as the straight line. People keep talking about the shortest distance of a straight line. Yeah, it is. But it might be a straight line out there, but then it's parabolic coming back, which means you can accelerate through the punch and get back faster than you can by punching straight out and trying to pull it back. So old-time boxers, you'll see that parabolic shape in the way the punch goes out and retracts. Even off the jack, you look at Duran as an example. There's some great clips of him training. You see he's practicing his jab, and it's got that parabolic curve. Well, it's like it. a cat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, exactly. I was going to say the tiger claw type thing. Yeah. yeah, that's okay, but it's when these guys loop it so bad that they're, yes. they're leaving themselves open for a counter. Uh, that, that's lazy coaching. Again. Yeah, that's, that's bad. That's why you want to – you got to get it back. But your shoulder plays into it, uh, yeah. you know, all of that. Yeah. So you're not know, opening yourself that's lazy coaching, Tony, isn't it? That's lazy coaching. If, they, if they're letting that guy go out and drop it right down, that's lazy yeah, coaching. That's bad. Once in a while when I, when I train Martin with the Zoom, and he'll, he'll bring that left hand back, and it'll, it's low. So it'll start here up by, let's say, the cheekbone, for example. He'll throw the punch, but then the punch ends up down here by his breast. That's no good. You know, you gotta you gotta get it back up to you know to defend yourself. Otherwise, you're you're a dead man. You know, you're gonna get I mean, that that parabolic. I mean, I've shown it on here. It's big, but it doesn't have to be a massive parabolic curve. It it's slight. Yeah. yeah, but you to to be able to keep that speed going and that that getting back to defend yourself, you need to have that parabolic shape to it. Without that, you're going to decelerate. And you mentioned earlier about acceleration. You've got to accelerate through the target. Most people, most, when they do a straight punch and straight back, yeah, of course it works. Of course it knocks people out. Of course it can. But if you're decelerating on impact, you're not going to have the same effect as if you're accelerating on impact. You just can't be. Well, certainly. But again, too, don't forget the height. You know, the, the distance... Like if I'm six foot and the guy I'm, I'm punching at is five foot, okay, that's going to be a little different than if the guy I'm punching is seven foot. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you. The thing here is that, um, yeah, it's lazy where a lot of people just throw it and just drop that hand, throw it and then drop that hand. That's not you can't you can't do that. You can't leave yourself like wide open. That's how that's how uh, Joe Lewis got smeared by uh, Max Schmeling. He saw yeah. that. He saw it. He saw that he dropped his hand when he was throwing punches, and they, he came off the counter. But uh, as far as this acceleration and deceleration, so much of that is um, learning your distancing, okay? It's all about how are you, like how close, how far you've got. And sometimes you'll just paw. You'll just throw it out there to get your distance. And you've got to figure out, based on your opponent and their footwork, is your opponent very active? Does he move back? Does he come in? Does he stay stationary? You got to get your distance so you can figure out exactly when 
when you're still accelerating. Because you're right, it's always about punching punching through the target. Uh, and, and a heavy bag can help with that if you're watching how the heavy bag is going. Um, you know, if the heavy bag is – the best way for me when I'm watching guys hitting a, working out on a bag is, is how is that heavy bag moving when the guy's hitting that heavy bag? Okay, is it barely moving or is it swaying like a like this, you know? So now that, that tells me he's not really hitting it. He's pushing it. Um, you've got to get it so it's almost bouncing so you know that he's, oh, yeah, he went through it, and all that impact is centered in that heavy bag, not in front of it, not pushing through it. It's, it's not as simple as people think that when they, when they don't know. So many times you see, imagine my finger is the heavy bag. So many times you see somebody hitting it and it's just doing this. Yeah, that's no good. Go, oh, he hits hard. Look, the bag's moving all over the place. And I just go up and go like that and push it. You know, yeah. it's the same thing, look, it's a push. It's not a punch. It might be a hard push, but it's a punch. It's not a punch. It's a push. The bag, when it gets hit, it, it should, like, like, yeah, in, curl it, up it, almost. Yeah. yeah, it should increase where the punch goes in. And if it's not, creating a hole, if you like, a divot when the punch goes in, you're not punching correctly. I don't care who you are. I don't care what level you're supposed to be at. If the bag isn't doing that, you're not punching properly. Simple. I'm so glad you mentioned it, Tony. And, and also distance. Like you mentioned earlier, Joe, about Roy Jones, hands down. And, but that's because he understood distance. If, if you understand distance, you can have your head, you can be like that, don't matter, because you know the other guy can't actually hit you from where he is without moving a lot or whatever. So it doesn't matter. But the people who have to be like this all the time have to be like that. They don't truly understand distance properly. It, That's me. So, I never put my hands down. <laughs> yeah, like when I used to train and spar with Errol, he understood distance so well, it was incredible. And if you, there's a, an interview with Chris Eubank, who's and uh, who spent a long time sparring with him and only managed to hit him once. And Eubank said he would never fight him because he would never fight somebody he couldn't hit. He said, well, he was who, who, Who's Chris talking about? Harold Graham. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, all right, I didn't hear you. So what Harold was great at was distance, was that you thought you could hit him. And as you throw, you, realize, you get sort of like halfway out there, you realise you haven't. <laughs> But it's too late. You're already your punch is already gone, and you, you you're walking into punches all the time. You're just pulling you in. So people used to say he's a counter puncher, and it's not counter punching. It was punching at the right time, and there's a difference because counter punching to me is I throw, you throw, dum dum, my turn, bang bang, dum dum, bang bang, and you you're trying to counter punch You're trying to hit them before they can hit you. But punching at the right time, it allows you to punch knowing it can't land. And as you get closer and coming into range, that's when he throws. Now, I can see the argument for counter-punching, but when you analyse it correctly, it's not counter-punching. It's bringing you into distance, understanding distance, and throwing when you're in distance. There's little point in throwing when you're out of distance, so he wouldn't throw a punch. There's no point. But by drawing you in, understanding distance, now I throw I can see the argument for counter-punching, but it's actually not. It's punching when the distance is correct. So you can do that defensively or offensively. It's understanding distance. 
And again, I come back to the fact that a lot today don't understand distance like the old time fighters do. Well, that makes sense because, you know, years ago I asked my buddy Johnny Lira, he was a champion fighter, uh, amateur professional, um, because he fought Howard Davis professionally. I, I also think in the amateurs, and Johnny was trying out for the 76 Olympics. Well, he had to go through guys like, you know, like Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, which wasn't he made it. I had to be Sugar Ray with Sugar Ray. So I asked him once, because uh, I said, you worked out with, with all of them. You know, you, you fought or sparred or trained with Sugar Ray Leonard and Howard Davis. He says, out of the two of them, who had the faster hands? And he said, well, like just hand speed, like just throwing a punch, probably Howard Davis. He says, but Sugar Ray Leonard had the be- had better timing. It's what, exactly what you're talking about, right? So uh, uh, Sugar Ray could time it. So not only was, it, was his hands fast, but with his timing, it was even that much quicker, right? Um, or at least the perception of it was. And, uh, yeah, it's because, yeah, it's all about timing, you know, about being in the right place at the right time, capitalizing on the opening. Like what you're talking about with, with, uh, with uh, Harold, he's, he's luring you in. So it, the, the timing is always, if it's impeccable, you're going to always get there first, no doubt. Yeah. You know? And, and again, to me, that's a lost art most places. They don't really train, they don't drill it to learn it and, and absorb it and understand it and apply it. Because most of the coaches today, I think, aren't coaches. They're just fitness trainers. You know, boxers are going, have you done your six rounds of skipping? Yeah, go and do 10 rounds on the back then. Where's the coach? Where's the, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to practice. This is how I want you to do it. Now I want you to drill it with him. I want you to work together on this, that, and the other. You're weak on that. You're weak on that. Work together. Help each other. Why are you able to land that jab? Why can you defend it? Why can't you defend it? Why? All these ways of drilling. I mean, on your DVDs, you speak about drilling properly. When you're talking with Bruce and stuff like that about drilling, Tony. When we teach stuff, we say, you've got to drill it properly. This old school thing, you know, drills build the skills and skills pay the bills. <laughs> it's that, and people aren't drilling properly. Their, their idea of drilling is you you do 10 top wrist locks, I'll do 10. Yeah, yeah. This, and off they go. Well, why don't you concentrate on doing some top wrist locks properly? And the guy who you're doing it to tells you what's right and wrong with what you're doing and gradually building up the resistance and helping each other and all that sort of stuff. That's drilling. Saying, right, you do 10, now do 10 that side. All right, now my turn. I'm bored. Are you bored? Let's do it. And then they don't do it properly anyway. And that's the way people drill. They see it in martial arts, see it in boxing, tie boxing, everything. Nobody drills properly. Uh, I tell you, as a coach, too, I and I know this for me as a student when I was learning, <clears throat> let's just say they throw a number at you. Give me 10. Yeah. And then, you know, I would, and I love it when a guy's like, uh, after they did the 10th one, wait a minute, no, let me, uh, I don't have, let me give you a couple more. I, Something wasn't right. Let me give you a few more. That's a good student. That's somebody that wants to learn because, yeah, because this is not like lifting weights where, you know, you're going to get exasperated after everyone. Yeah, I used to know, like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? Yeah, 10, but I really only did, like, six because four of them really suck. Let me, 
let me yeah. give you a little bit more. That's a winner. That's a guy that's going to succeed or a gal that's going to succeed because they have to do more. Now, of course, unless you're gassed, you're too tired. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Numbers, numbers, you know, we have to do it like um, as a coach, you know, I get it that you got to, you know, conserve time and, you know, time management. But yeah, it's always about doing things properly. Uh, and it's not like, uh, like they say, you know, practice makes perfect. No, somebody came up with the perfect practice makes perfect, right? You got to yeah. be perfect as much as you can, you know, not just doing it to do it. And that's in anything. It could be, music or anything else you're working at, you got to do it uh, as close to perfect as you can or stop. Speaking of perfect, go ahead, Martin. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I I train with you um, once a week, well, once every, whatever, five to six days. And um, fundamentally, uh, the the huge difference, because I used to go to like CrossFit gyms and so forth, the, the fundamental difference is that you know people should take advantage of your level of expertise because you're able to correct everything, including boxing technique and actual fitness technique. My CrossFit experience was mired with a lot of shoulder problems because nobody was correcting on individual basis the way all the fitness routines had to be implemented, right? So, so here, even though we're limited by Zoom, you know, there's only so much you can do. I, I can't put my headgear on and get some sparring rounds in or anything like that. There is still a, a fundamental ability to correct things as they happen versus, you know, do 10, do 20 and come back next week, which is just not sufficient feedback loop to, to make improvements. Well, the Zoom with us works. I mean, unless there's a technical glitch, like today during your Zoom, the first half of it was blotchy. And I told you straight out, okay, I'm not going to be able to correct you. Didn't I say that? Because I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell. I said, we're just going to get some fitness in. Then you were able to reboot the computer and it was a little better. But you're right. You have to watch because you're going to put out that same amount of kilowatts of energy no matter what. So let's make sure all your punches are, are right. That's why I never was, even in the 80s and 90s, whatever, Tybo or whatever it's called, that, I don't want to signify. That may not have been it, but any of those cardio kickboxing, cardio karate, uh, you're, it's an accident waiting to happen because the form, the, everything was so sloppy. You, you're putting out the same amount of energy, actually probably more when you're doing it sloppily. Do it right. Yeah, make sure that nobody's getting hurt. Every, every, everything works out. I think part of it, Martin, is a two-pronged thing. A lot of instructors probably don't know the difference between the – truly the right way to do it wrong way and then some do but they just don't they're lazy they just don't they don't want to they don't want to um make too many corrections because a lot of times too the student gets offended they don't want to hear that right they don't want to hear that oh i'm not that good i've been through that too where i've told people yeah you're not so good next thing you know they start smashing you all over the internet and smearing you because they felt they feel like a slight but yeah you a good coach will always tell you the right um the right technique the proper way to do it uh and many times when i don't correct you is because you don't need correction <laughs> you know you're doing it right well I mean, we might be focusing on something else you know we we go through this and we we focus on on some other things but you know i also wanted to point out that um you know you're not necessarily limited by by your equipment you, you know we talked about this today that even shadow boxing is a viable form of exercise and 
and getting your technique and your movement uh, focused and properly adjusted. We have graduated, you know, we, we started off with a, you know, I started off with a kind of a Q-tip bag that I was hitting and eventually I managed to engineer a, a heavy bag that's more realistic. But, but this can be done with just about anything. There's stuff that you know how you can tweak and, and turn into a, a training tool for, for anybody. So, I mean, it, it's great. I, I really enjoy our sessions. Well, look, okay, Martin, or not Martin, but uh, Russell brought up earlier uh, about the old-time boxers, okay, old-timers, all right? And we don't need to get into what does that mean, but let's, let's take it back 100 years ago or so. They just did not have the sophistication that we did today, yet uh, I'm not going to compare the two. I mean, I think fighters in the 60s, 70s, 50s, 80s, whatever, were at the apex, but yet these guys still got great workouts, were able to get in shape with, with, let's call it primitive equipment because they made, they got the most out of it for you. you we were talking today, you and I, during your training session, if you got a jump rope, even if you don't have a jump rope, like if I was in my basement or even here, there, it, there's no way I can jump rope in here. You don't have enough room, but you can still sit, you know, do a simulation of it, you know, do your cross hands. It may not be perfect, but just like shadow boxing, you know, it's, it, it, it works its own way. Um, you don't need that big expensive mirror thing that you were talking about that people were buying. Yeah, that um, seemed to die out. But yeah, that was a big gimmick for a couple it, of years. It's a gimmick. But yeah, if you just have like, uh, like even a speed bag, you can kind of simulate the speed bag on your own. I mean, nothing's quite as good, but keeping your elbows up or, you know, working the different hand positions, you, there's always ways around it. You don't have a maze ball. Get a little tennis ball or, or not a tennis ball, but something slightly larger, volleyball or something with string and, you know, wrap around it and use that. It, it's not about money all the time. I mean, sure, it would be great to have a nice heavy bag, but even if you got the best, you got a heavy bag, a double M bag, uh, a speed bag with a platform, you're not spending a hell of a lot of money on this, right? You're, you're spending probably... Uh, a couple hundred bucks or well, maybe a little bit more than that, but you know, you're not spending millions of dollars here, but yeah, my heavy bag was, uh, was $200, everything included the, uh, yeah, the rigging yeah. too. See, it's, but it's all about getting the most out of it and, and not always looking for something newfangled because people then that tells me you're looking for a shortcut always. Um, and it's, it's not about that, man. The secret is hard work. No matter how you do it, you still have to put in the hard work. Right, Russell? Right, Joe? Yeah. yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, Tony. Well, we used to say those people who are always looking for something else, they're magpie types. They see something shiny over there, and they go running over there, they go running over there, they go try and take this, take that. And they're not, they're not thinking, not, not doing the, the work right. And, you know, they've got all the kit. They've got, we say they've got all the gear and no idea. You don't need all that all that stuff. You know, you talk about shadows, Tony, and stuff like that, and skipping. And if you haven't got a rope, you haven't got. We just say, if you haven't got a rope, pretend you've got one. Yeah. If you haven't got a speed bag, pretend you've got one. If you haven't got heavy bag, pretend you've got one. If you haven't got a, somebody to spar with, pretend you've got somebody, which is what shadow should be. You got this, that, all of those things. You can. It's, the only limit is your imagination and ability. Well, you you did it when you were younger, you know, and your friends were like, you know. Russell, there's a pretty woman. You know you couldn't get her. I, yeah, they would tell you, pretend you're good looking, Russell. Get in my mind. 
in my mind, I did. Tony, didn't I? I told you, did you remember? I had a girlfriend once. I told you, remember? Remember when I was about 46 and I got a girlfriend once? Yeah, I mean, I mean that costs you, but not, never mind. But you know, but seriously though, it is about just making the most of it. Um, I, I've seen guys go to uh, these like, like take gyms, like you know, health clubs. Okay, yeah, you you spend a lot of money maybe per month at a certain health club. If they have facilities that you want, let's say you want to use a sauna, you want to use the swimming pool, the laps, or you want to take advantage of some personal training. But I'm going to tell you what, if you're paying, if I'm paying 20 bucks a month and you're paying 120 bucks a month and all you're doing is your bench buys and tries, you're getting ripped off because the equipment don't cost that much, right, to utilize. So, yeah, I think sometimes people try to, um, they, they just want to convince themselves because they're paying more or they got this newfangled piece of equipment that they're going to get a better workout. I, you know, that's not a guarantee. It's more than likely it's not like, like I think you said, it's a gimmick um, or Martin said, it's a gimmick. Um, and you got to have the proper coaching and man, that's, that's kind of, Oh, speak, bring that up, Martin. We were talking today about these big uh, schools, you know, gigantic schools, like a Walmart school, you know, right. Like, I, I don't think this is necessarily a new concept because I remember, you know, like in the, 70s or maybe 80s because i only became aware of boxing like in my youth in the 80s they used to have these like heavyweight factory uh, and you know these days it seems like the economics of running a gym that fields a lot of fighters seem to favor the gyms that are like big camps and i think a lot of this stuff in in ufc really comes out of a couple of geographical areas that have these big established gyms that basically have kind of a like, revolving door in the in the UFC, and there isn't doesn't seem to be like a way to really break through for fighters coming out of like gyms that have you know maybe three or four people in them because the resource pool pool is just too small. Well, it's and hard the, for instructors. Because, oh, go ahead, Russell. So I just said there's no money in it. The fighters, you know, how many people actually become a fighter yeah. compared to who walks through the door? How many then out of those who become a fighter actually are any good? And how many of those are actually going to stay with you, right? Because everybody quits. They all go somewhere else. So if you're trying to train fighters, you, if you're not an established gym with the revolving door, like Martin mentioned, then you've got hardly any chance because it takes so long for somebody to go through the ranks and actually get to a stage where they're earning any money. But you, you just can't make any money, which is why it's a million times easier to have a room full of people going one and two and three and four rather than learning how to fight. Because you just, there's no money in it. And kids' classes, that's another good source of income, right? I mean, they're not going to be fighters. If you were really good martial artists, they could actually really fight. But they've got schools of four or 500 students. And it's not about... You know, making people into fighters. It's about people enjoying their training, having fun, meeting yeah. other people. They learn a little bit. Of course they do, and they get better, they're better than they were you know, without going there. But it, it's not about fighters. You, there's no money in it. And Well, he, he's right, though, about these big camp types, you know, top teams yeah. and things. Uh, it, it's almost like a, well, I don't know what, what you know living out in Cambodia, but like, you know, Home Depots or Walmart's these giant super centers 
and they put the smaller mom and pops hardware stores or uh, uh, delicatessens out of business. Same here. You know, it puts small gyms like like the gyms, like even like the weightlifting gyms. Like, you know, there used to be years ago, I guess, a lot of small independent gyms, like weightlifting gyms, only weightlifting. Yeah. They, you don't have many of those anymore because Bally's and all these other, you know, Planet Fitness and all that, you know, wipe them out. And, and that's what's happening, um, like, in the UFC type of, of gyms. And, yeah, you're still going to have your independent, like, jujitsu gyms or something like that. Um, but he brought up, Martin brought up today about, I wonder how many fighters, pro fighters, MMA fighters are coming out of Chicago or something like that. Not many because a city like Chicago or any other large city or large metropolitan area, it's expensive to live. Prices are high. You got to have a job. You, you got to work, okay, unless you're roommating with five people. So, you know, maybe if you're living in the rural area, things are a little bit less expensive. That's why a lot of fighters tend to come out of the rural uh it's hard for me to talk to you about this, Russell, because you're in another country. You don't know what it's like here. But, you know, it, it's not like these, like, years and years ago where everybody, boxers were coming out of Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, L.A., these large cities. It, it doesn't, I don't, you know, things have changed. Times have changed economically. And you're right, not a lot of people are are looking at it as being a pro fighter. Um, and I, I've kind of cut out. I'm not part of like the UFC crowd or MMA crowd anymore. I, I you know, I just don't really have the interest in it because it economically wasn't, wasn't happening entertainment wise. It wasn't entertaining me, but yeah, there's a, there's a shift, man. Things are different. It, fighting, sports are expensive. Be, huh? be un- to be a fighter, really, you know, you're a young guy. You've got to be unemployed and single. Well, yeah. but and and you can't be unemployed and single in a big city because you need five grand a month just to survive. Well, and, and it's not just fighting. I mean, it's other sports, okay? Like youth. Let's say you're you're 12 years old, okay? Uh, you want to play ba- American baseball. You got to get on what they call traveling leagues that go all over. It's an expense for the parents. It could be upwards of $5,000 a year. And you're or more, and you're you're traveling constantly everywhere. Uh, I'm sure it's the same with American with soccer, American soccer, and in other sports, it's become even at a, a non-professional level, strictly child level, uh, it becomes very expensive. Uh, and then when you get into the um, the I don't know what you want to call it, premier, not premier, but I don't know what the word would be, but the the sports like gymnastics or figure skating or something. Now you're really talking about money to travel all over the country for competitions and so on. This is, this is really expensive stuff. So the whole sports world in America from, from a child on up, it's a moneymaker. It's, you know, there's no, like, like in Chicago, we have park districts. Now I don't know again, I guess I, but, because I'm out of the loop, but Chicago used to be known for their park district boxing, okay? Where even as a kid, all right, for free, you can go to park district, learn how to box a little bit. I don't know what, what, the, what the case is for, you know, martial arts. I don't know because I'm out of it now. But it wasn't the same as it used to be for park district boxing, I'll tell you that. Martin would know more. 
Well, I, I know this, that like, you know, I, don't, I don't know how it works for all the sports. We're kind of speculating about how the economics work, but certainly for uh, some of the more popular sports, there's an option of being able to uh, get recruited to a college on a sports scholarship. But some of the more like less popular sports, like I know for a fact that um, uh, Michaela Schifrin, who is like the downhill you know, star of the U.S. Um, for, for Alpine skiing, she comes from an extremely rich family. Her family actually sends her to Argentina during the off season so she can continue to train. And it's not a sport that's really accessible to everybody. You know, like, like a basketball is, and you can go to Park District, you can play basketball, you can get scouted, you can get recruited. And you can bubble up to the professional leagues. That doesn't work in alpine skiing. And I don't even work. I don't know if it works in, in you know, martial arts. Like, I don't know what the economics of that are there. Well, I, I don't either. But, you know, with, with martial arts, MMA, let's say you want to be a pro fighter. Let's just use MMA. Um, or even if it was a jujitsu thing, you want to. I don't know if there's professional jujitsu. There may be. Uh, you got to have training partners, sparring partners and whatever. Uh, that takes a group that and it, it can't just have everybody anybody you got to have um competent sparring partners that are willing to just basically sacrifice themselves they're not there to you know knock you out every workout or you know make a name for themselves they're there to make you better yeah it's it's complex it's not as easy as people may think um i don't know man it's just that's it's i think what that's not kind of right. That's I think the big misconception that we were trying to articulate is that people think that you have a spectacular coach and you have spectacular talent and you're gonna shoot right to the top and you're gonna be a multimillionaire. And we had people come through the gym that held that misconception. And it takes a lot of bodies to make that one person successful. And it's really hard for the stars to line up that exact way. Well, that's you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, and it's. It's a lot of setbacks along the way for the up and coming fighter because they may have it in their mind that they're untouchable or unbeatable, but yet they're getting beaten every day in the gym because they're not as good as they may have thought they were. Uh, and I'm not just saying in our gym, just anywhere, you know, and you, and you gotta uh, be uh, aware of that, you know, and, and humble yourself to know, Hey, I got a lot, I got a lot to work on. I got to keep on getting better, you know, and on that note, I think I mentioned to you, Martin, I don't go on. I think I mentioned today. I don't go on internet forums and I haven't in many, many, many years over a decade. The last time I went on one was again, just to quell these jerk offs on the, on the internet. Where's your fighters, this and that or, or something. And I'm like, you guys spend seven days a week, 24 hours a day, bashing me or others bashing bashing insulting frauds this and that no talent this and i said all you do is is bash these you know people but in, in in my case me and then you wonder why i don't have any champion fighters at that point who the hell's going to want to train with me when all you guys on the internet night and day is just talk shit make up lies and just bash 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 nobody in their right mind is going to want to work out under those conditions because even if they know you're full of shit, writing shit on the internet, they know you're liars. They know that, man, I don't want to affiliate with this person or that person because I'm going to end up getting slaughtered on the internet and bashed. So they do it to themselves. And you were mentioning today, Martin, that uh, 
there's a lot of people who, who get smeared constantly. And yet you've been a couple of those people's gyms that were getting smeared and they weren't bad. They were pretty damn good. Yeah, I think my experience overall has been positive in, in terms of, you know, going to a gym and uh, rolling and exercising with people. Everybody's just grateful to have other bodies to to help them out and get better. Like, I, I've never had a bad experience with somebody who had skin in the game, you know, who wanted to to train themselves and was just happy to see somebody else there and be able to work out. Right. You said it today. It was always people who don't seem to have skin in the game. And we were talking about, I think I brought up about, like restaurants, like somebody will do something legitimately stupid. An owner of a restaurant, he'll say something maybe political or whatever. It is just horrible. And now all these people who really don't have any skin in the game from all parts of the country who've never heard of this restaurant before, but it kind of catches on that this this restaurant is a the owner's a jerk. They bombard them with like Poor Yelp reviews. I don't know if you know what Yelp is out there, uh, uh, yeah. Russell, but just they demolish this person's business. Well, you don't have any skin in the game. You you weren't actually wronged by this restaurant. You may not like what the owner said, but you never was there before. So you're just you're a fo- you're a fake social justice warrior because you're not really doing anything that's justice. You you weren't you weren't treated unjustly. You know you're just jumping on it. And I think that's part of the problem with uh, with the internet. It's very easy to just start that herd mental herd mentality, uh, and just start pounding on people when you don't even know what the hell's going on. We had this all the time years ago. We're training really hard, like training with Arrows, with our big Paul. There's some of the guys who trained with us. You know, made you look tiny, Tony. Right? They were, you know, were people from 300 to 450 pound bench press some of them you know repping it you know it just ridiculous strength and size these guys and people say to me oh you only train just touching like that with points that's you're just full of shit I go, yeah you're right that's all we do yeah we stand there and go like that on each other that's how we train and that's how we fight and then when they come along to a training session and get absolutely ragdolled by people, never come back. It used to, it used to be very fun. But it, I, I gave up arguing. Like you say about the forums, I just gave up arguing. I go, yeah, you're right. That's what we do. That's all we do. Yeah, we stand around and prod each other because that's how you fight, really. And they go, see, I knew you did. I knew that's what you did. Yeah, you're right. That's all we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works. Because there's no point. Because every time you argue with them, you give you give some credence to what they're saying. Yeah, and, that's the way America is right now. People are just coming up with their own facts, alternate facts, you know, as as we call it. You know, it's just they make up shit or live in conspiracy theories. Uh, it's never been this bad ever. Not not in my lifetime. I've never seen it this bad. Oh, I mean, I'm sure there was always a degree of it. Because yeah. even when you were a kid, you heard of whacked out people who had crazy thoughts, but you know, not like this, but, um, but no, the other thing is though about training is how, how better are you getting? You know, if you're in a pool of people who are all at your level or all doing the same thing, even if it's like really not elite, well, the matter, somebody's going to rise to the top. So, here, like for example, let's just take swimming or not even whatever the sport is, high school baseball. Um, 
somebody's going to be the best high school baseball player in the country. Uh, no matter who it is, somebody's going to be the best. Well, that doesn't mean they're major league baseball caliber. Okay. They may be, I mean, there's rare exceptions, but for the sake of arguing, my point is you got, you got, a, you got a talent pool of people who, who really aren't doing the most elite stuff. They think they are, but as long as everybody's at the same level, elite takes on a new, new meaning. Okay. So what's elite at high school is not elite at college. It's not elite at the minor leagues. It's not elite at the major leagues. And the same with fighting, you know, uh, we could watch some guys fight. We could say, like you brought up earlier about, uh, like Van, uh, Anderson Silva, his boxing's not elite. I mean, it's elite. It may have been elite for MMA. It's not elite for boxing. Okay. And so on. Um, you just gotta be able to understand that as, as let's say I was Anderson Silva, I have to know when I go to bed every night, yeah, okay, I'm elite for these MMA guys, but I'm not elite for fighting, you know, Floyd Mayweather or, you know, uh, Triple G or somebody like that. Yeah, you, you got to keep it all in perspective, I guess. Can I just go back to what you said earlier, Tony? You, when you're talking about um, over Zoom with Martin, and, you said, and Martin mentioned how you could um, just look at what was going on and understand and correct. Well, as a blanket term and correcting things like just just even things like physical exercises as opposed to techniques, for example, as a blanket term, we just call that understanding how the body works, which sounds a bit blase and a bit flippant. But when you've got somebody like yourself who actually truly understands how the body works, you can correct stuff over Zoom and stuff like that. Obviously, even better face to face. But that correction can only be, be done when you truly understand how the body works. And the exercises will be done correctly when you truly understand how the body works. Because, we, Martin, you mentioned earlier about people getting injured from the different training in, in whatever, I can't remember, you know, the fitness type stuff. And we had a lot of people come to us with uh, shoulder and back problems where they've been learning to punch going across their body. And so all of this rotational talk going across their body incorrectly was creating loads of injuries and they come to us and they couldn't punch properly or do it because of all these injuries that they were getting from these fitness exercise things that were where people didn't understand how the body works so they were teaching them to do something wrong which is actually detrimental to the to the body yeah and so keep you, repeating it yeah and then you got somebody like tony who understands the body really well or at a higher level than anybody else, I'm not just really well at a higher level than anybody else, he can look at an exercise and say, well, you just need to move that bit there and then it doesn't hurt. You won't, you won't damage yourself and you get more out of the exercise. And, and we see it all the time. It's, it's like people doing just silly things like some of the sit-ups that people do where they fall down, come all the way up, fall down, come all the way up. So you're only doing half a sit-up to start with because you're falling down. And from flat on the floor, you're not doing anything to your stomach. When you're up like that, you're not doing anything to your stomach. Find out where you're getting that range of movement that's actually doing something with the stomach muscles and why don't you work in that range? Because that might be a bit more beneficial for you 
and doing some, and you see pulling on their head and all sorts. There's all sorts of stuff. It's, it's millions of different sort of mistakes, if you want to call it. But if you understand how the body works, they won't correct those mistakes. That's why somebody like Tony can look and go, you're doing that wrong, doing that wrong, doing that wrong. Yeah. Push-ups are a big thing. People do yeah. push-ups. They flare their elbows out so wide and everything. And, they, you know, they don't understand the stress they're putting on their shoulders and one little mistake and then, you know, or their back isn't straight when they're doing the push-ups and they throw their back out or they try to cheat like they were, like somebody that's wearing a green shirt on this podcast and I'm not going to mention his name. That's from another country that begins with the letter P, you know, but I'm not going to mention any names. You know, but, yeah, don't embarrass you know. that person. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, you don't want to cheat. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I have to sign off. I've got a bunch of honeydews to do before and uh, before the, the week starts, the work week. So I'm well, going to sign off. Not meeting anymore. You, you're not cheating anymore. Good to see you, Martin. All, All right. right. Thank you, guys. Bye. You're welcome. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, uh, you can't, yeah, you got to be able to. So I look at things two ways when I'm coaching somebody or observing somebody. Obviously, I know how I do things because I know myself better than anybody. Uh, so and but so I don't necessarily judge somebody per se on how I do it, but I do judge it on how they should do it. But there are mechanics that have to be applied properly and then you have to calculate the adjustments to these mechanics based on them so like a baseball stance or you said golf not everybody swings a golf club exactly the same but all the best golfers i'm assuming because i don't follow golf but baseball they all swing generally all the physics are the same okay so that's that's what it's all about um like joe cardinal there um, get on the take your mic off the mute, Joe, so you can join us. Um, Joe, I'm sorry, I have to sleep. What's going on? Yeah, you have the podcast. <laughs> well, we were having an intelligent conversation. Now we're going to switch it since you're in. No, but like, uh, everybody, uh, like Joe boxes a little bit differently than me. You know, his stance is a little different, but yet it's still fundamentally right. His elbows are in, his chin is down, he's protecting himself at all times. That's all I care about, right that he doesn't break out of that. Um, that's not something that I can gauge instantly. I, I have to assess the person for a while. Um, and I'm sure you're the same way, Russell. Not all of your students are identical robot clones. I, <laughs> it's funny. I watched the other day. I was bored. I got the best of the best movies. One, two, and three. No, one and two. I got best of the best one and two. And I was watching them the other day just because I had nothing to do. There's a scene where all these... Korean uh, Taekwondo guys, there's like a hundred of them in a field or wherever. They're all doing their katas identical. I mean, perfectly identical, very synchronized, looked very beautiful. I get it. It's Hollywood. I I understand all that. But yet everyone was identical. Um, I've never seen that in a boxing or wrestling gym where everybody's doing it exactly the same. But you will see it in a martial arts gym. You might as well have one person and a load of mirrors. Right. Okay. They all got to look at, and it doesn't matter what size, what body shape, blah, 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 you are, how you move, how I move. Now you've got to do it exactly the same. You've got to do it. You know, no, you can't, you can't have any kind of difference. It's got to be exactly the same for everybody. And that's, that's how ridiculous it's got. And that's starting to permeate through to boxing, kickboxing, tie everything. 
jujitsu, the lot. It's starting to permeate through. Now you've got to do the same. You've got to do the same. That's because the coaches haven't got a clue what they're doing. But they can do a monkey see, monkey do. If everybody looks the same, it must be correct. Rather than <laughs> it's correct for the individual. Yeah, there are fundamentals you have to follow, guidelines. Yes. Like yes. I get mad when, when I'm showing a submission and people are flaring their elbows out. Man, yeah. that's just the worst possible thing ever. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're teaching the principles upon which that technique will work, aren't you? You're showing all the little individual bits that make it work correctly. The correct body mechanics, the body physics, the, the body dynamics, everything else. You teach it and say, this is how it should be done. You should have this bit. Well, what, I've studied what you do. You, you, you teach every individual aspect of why it's working and how it works. Well, it comes back to that might look the same, but it ain't. The other guy's just showing, oh, this is the basic shape of a top wrist or whatever, and tries it, doesn't get anywhere near the effect that you do because he hasn't understood all those individual little bits that make it work. He just thinks that it looks the same, but it ain't. And then yeah. they get everybody else doing it the same way. So their, their top wrist lock, as an example, is nowhere near as effective as your top wrist lock. But they're all doing But in their mind, they still get a tap out eventually. But in their mind, that's the correct top wrist lock because it's worked. Yes, it has worked. But it could have worked 10 times better if they'd done it the way you teach it. They might think they're doing it, but they're not. But the coach doesn't understand that they're doing it not as correct as it could be. I can't say doing it wrong, but they're not doing it as efficiently as they could be. If you were there, you would, you would, be, you would correct them in an instant. But it's the level of knowledge of the coaches is what my, my big thing. It's not the student's fault per se. It's the level of knowledge and competence of the coaches. If that's their level, then why aren't they trying to improve themselves is the, is the big question. And why aren't they trying to make everything better is the next question. And why aren't the students trying to make themselves better is a, is a follow-on question. Somebody like you, Tony, you'd look at it and you go, correct this, correct that, correct that, correct the other, on an individual level, as well as all of the, the body mechanics, physics, dynamics, that must be right for everybody. That's the same for everybody. Everybody's going to be doing it in a slightly different way. But those nuances of being able to do it, correct the individual, have gone. They all just say, right, do this, do that, put it up there, get their arm like that, grab hold of it and twist it across the chest or whatever. But well, they don't understand all the bits. It's about repeatability. You know, you said, well, he may still get that submission out of it. Yeah, just like a guy who never had a boxing lesson in his life could hit somebody in the face and knock him out. But how many more times, you know, that may not happen against anybody else or you may never be able to do it again. So... It's about repeatability. You got to do things perfectly as close as you can over and over so you can repeat this process um, every time you attempt it. That's, that's the biggest secret is like, I, like I'll, I'll show somebody a move and they're struggling with it. Then they may just get it once and then they're, then they're doing some more and more reps and they suck again, right? But I tell yeah. them, you did it once. You did it right one time so you know you have it in you it's not like trying to do a triple backflip it's not yeah. possible to do you have it in you so the secret is to repeat you know be, have that repeatability and that only comes from proper mechanics 
Do you understand? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right, Joe? I want to get Joe in on this. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mechanics, it's, it's the fundamentals. We've always talked about that a lot. You know, if you're, if you're not practicing right, you're just wasting your time and you're integrating bad habits. Um, I know we've been going on pretty long, and I, I just want to take advantage of Russell being on here and kind of his area of expertise. So I want to circle back to the pressure point stuff, and um, because I am kind of fascinated, because I think you're unique in the fact that uh, of your integration in that with your boxing, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, so you say kind of boxers target those points naturally, they kind of instinctively, or they, maybe they are taught to target those things in a broader sense. But are there anything different that you bring when you're in addition to the boxing? Like how are the points small enough? Like you you train, like you put little points on a bag and say, even though if you're hitting the with a proper jab or a proper hook, are you training fighters? And again, you don't have to give away too many trade secrets. I know you, you you're coaching a boxing team, so whatever you're comfortable talking about. But I'm kind of fascinated about like, you know, how precise, because I think in previous podcasts you've talked about people think that they can't hit these smaller points in the midst of a fight because it's not training for it. And so like, I just want to understand like how you integrate those two and like, what are some of the training drills that maybe you do a little bit differently than a traditional boxer to integrate that, the, that pressure point uh, targeting. So even though they have, let's say they have the proper power, they have the proper mechanics, but it's like, okay, but now we're teaching them to take those skills and target specific things. Is that, yeah, it's about training for accuracy. I mean, you see it all the time. People do shadows and there's no thought process in it. They do heavy bag and there's no thought process in it. They do pads. Most pads is shit and there's no thought process in it. The pad guy's hitting the punch, so there's no accuracy there. When they're on the heavy bag, they're not being given a specific target on the heavy bag by the coach. The coach isn't there watching, analysing, making sure it's being done correctly. None of that's going on. The, the boxer, the fighter, whoever it is, isn't aiming for a specific area on the bag. They're just hitting the bag. When they're doing pads, they're just throwing a punch towards the pad and the pad guy's hitting the punch, therefore creating the illusion of accuracy. When they're sparring, they're not trying to hit specific targets at all. They just go for their head, they go for the body, they're not going for a specific place. There's a little logo-y thing on my T-shirt here as an example. When I was sparring people, I would say to them things like, if they've got a logo on there, all I'm going to go for is that logo. That's the only, you can hit whatever you like, but my practice is I'm going to go for that logo. That's what I'm going to hit, that's my target. So when they're moving around, and they're trying to, and they know that's all I'm going to hit. I'm not going to hit him in the face, not going to hit him anywhere else. I'm only going to hit him just there. So for me, my, my practice is that's my target. So I've got to hit it. Every punch has got to land there as an example. So that you're getting used to going for a small target that's moving around and being defended. And I'm saying, people, if, if I've told you that that little target there is the only thing I'm going for, you can hit wherever you want, do whatever you like. So you've only got to defend that. You've got, you don't have to worry about anywhere else. You're not going to get hit, touched anywhere else, but you're only going to get hit there. If I can hit that, when you know that's the only target, you know you're not going to get hit anywhere else, so you're safe to not even worry about anywhere else. If I can hit that, I must be doing something right. 
because there's lots of other places, lots of other targets once you understand what you're doing. Now, as we open it up and say there's another target, another target, another target, another target, another target that I'm allowed to go for, and you now got to defend four places, six places, eight places, it gets more and more difficult and therefore more and more easy to hit the targets as long as you practice for accuracy. I keep, I say things like, if you go to a shooting range, you get your gun out, you don't just walk in and go bang, 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 bang anywhere and go, no point in aiming because you could never hit a target in a real gunfight anyway. You what? They make the whole point of aiming for the bullseye all the time. Yet when it comes to striking, nobody tries for accuracy. When it comes to the grappling, how often do people go for accuracy in that? Tony will tell you, I don't think many people, Tony teaches it, but who else goes for accuracy, absolute accuracy in the training and in the drilling? Pad work is bullshit. They're all out like that. Bag work, most of it is bullshit. They don't train for accuracy. So they, they might talk about it and go, oh, I, I'm training to it. I'm just here, whatever. Do it then. Train it. Be accurate. And people just aren't. And, and then they wonder why somebody who does train accuracy makes such massive improvements. It's because they're training correctly. And I've seen people who, who can really bang. You know, they've got one hell of a punch on, but they can't land it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, and it's that simple. Other guys who, who are training correctly, always looking for the right target, might not hit as hard, but they keep hitting you. And if they keep hitting you, sooner or later it's going to work. And, and I just go for accuracy, and I think, be accurate. Train for accuracy. You can still be intense in your training. You still get a great workout. If all you want to do is get hot, fit, and get get hot and sweaty. Fine. But you can still train for accuracy while you're doing it. It's just a, an extra addition to your training, which makes sense to me. But in, when we did karate, we were high level karate. Right? Nobody was training accuracy. I can remember as a kid. Getting like you get read a self defense book about it might say gouge him in the eyes or you know kick him in the, in the groin. How do you practice that? You know the the book the book doesn't tell you that right. It just says yeah. gouge in the eyes right. Yeah. Well, we know as fighters you don't. I mean that you you got to specifically train for that. It, it's not going to happen on the first day. Try to hit a good boxer or a good fighter. They're you're they're not going to be there where you're you know especially if your punches are slow. You're you're reaching up there to, yeah. They never talk about how to practice, you know, for uh, like you just mentioned for accuracy. No, you know, they don't do they don't address it. Address that. They don't do it. I, I, it it really annoys me because it's such a a loss of time. In the you you can get back certain things, but you can't get back time. And the time when you're training, if you're training. You know, if it's just for fun, it doesn't matter, does it? But if you're training to be good and to improve or to be a fighter, if you're not training for all aspects of that when you're training, then why? Why? And why aren't you questioning it? Why aren't you thinking about it? Why, and why isn't the coach telling you? You, you should be training for the, the, the correct distance, the correct angles, the correct, you know, the location, targeting everything every should be every aspect should be in that but it's not most of it is missing it's just go and do your pad go and do your pads i'll take you on the pads it's all shitty out here and 
all that same old thing. One, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, duck under, three, two, three, two. Oh, you three, and they're doing a jab out here and hitting the jab. Stuff like that, oh, yeah, whatever they do. For me, with it, I'm going to be in a boxing stance with I've got the pad. I'm going to be in a boxing stance with you. I'm going to be holding the pad, you know, not absolutely correct because I don't want to get hit in the face, but I'll be holding it under one of my chins and it's flat against me here. And when we're in range, I'll open the pad for you to do your jab. So you're not only practicing a proper jab, you're practicing a proper distance as well because it's where my head is. So that you've got to work the distance correctly with him. And, and if your distance is wrong, I'm, I understand distance better than you, I won't give you the target until you get correct distance. And, and I can see most of your students aren't very accurate because they must have landed those punches on your face quite a lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> but it's just a silly little thing like that that to me is common sense. And yet they're all out here still doing that and just standing up straight going bang, bang, like that. Oh, that's a workout. That's not, that's not training. And to, how is the other guy learn? when you do it properly and you're in distance and you're moving around like a real fight well then the other guy is learning isn't he he's, he's learning how to get distance timing angles accuracy when to strike everything else all at the same time and then that one's doing it they're all going uh, 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 which I just call bullshit pass and I call them out on it it was talk about power so it's bullshit Old-time fighters didn't do pads. They only came around in the seventies, didn't they? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember when he came around. I mean, it's been around in my lifetime. So yeah, seventies probably. But but yeah, you're so right about even the do pads. Ali didn't do pads. Archie Moore, all all of them. None of none of them yeah. did pads. Well, yeah, with the grappling, the same thing. You know that the the uh, yeah they don't. Most people that I see don't train the way. I trained or the way I think you should train. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just saying I could be wrong, but they don't train like I do uh, as far as making an all-in approach, watching where your feet are, watching your hips, watching the whole body angles. and uh, it, They're so single-focused on the technique, that, with the move, the hold, whatever, uh, yeah. that they're, they're missing out on, you know, a lot of other stuff. It's just, you know, it's, and then I think that's why a lot of stuff's stagnating now. It's it's not becoming, um, you know, uh, like I don't know how to put it. it it's just not as exciting. Uh, no. Joe, Joe, get in this, man. Come on, man, talk. So, You're Russell, how, how many points are there roughly? So, like, as far as like, what are you, what are you like? You know, I was when you are talking about that kind of thing. Okay, well, when it comes to Fresh points, there's like 360 odd of them, right? You don't need to know any of all that. You, you narrow it down to the ones that are accessible and ones that work for you. So we would say probably about 30 to 40 that you, it's good to know. And then probably six or seven that are need to know. Uh-huh. And that's about it, really. You can make it that simple. People try to make it so complicated and they come out. I, I listen to some of these supposed experts talk and I start to get a little bit confused sometimes about what they're on about. And I do understand the Chinese medicine aspect of it and all this other stuff. 
And sometimes the way they talk, it confuses me a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, if it's confusing me and I really know my subject, how confusing is it going to be for the students? Right? And the fire burns what? Hey, it's a stomach does this, what? Hey, I can talk in that language if they want to. Or I can say, well, look, if, you, if you're here, do this, and this is how it works. To me, that's a better way of doing it. And then they can learn the other stuff as they go along as they want. But to me, the application of it is the, is the key, not the theory. All the people who are doing the theory, I know they can't do it on me. I know for a fact they can't do it on me, but I'll do it on them because he's pissed. They, they can't do it. It's, it's all, the, the delivery system is incorrect. It's a bit like, um, Coming back to say that top row, just keep saying top row. So they're doing the top wrist lock all wrong, but they know a little bit that makes it hurt. But they can never get to the top wrist lock for a start. Yeah. So, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can make it hurt if somebody gives you their arm and holds it there and then lets you do the top wrist lock. But you can't get there. And you can't and you can't apply it if they resist you. And to me, then that's not worth knowing yet, is it? You only need to know that bit that makes it hurt once you understand how to get there, how to make it work, and then make it worse. It worse as in more painful. So yeah. to me, the point stuff is at the very end. It's like the, the poison <clears throat> an arrow or something like that. It's of no use to you if you can't if you can't fire it. And, and but these people learn it the other way around. They learn the points and then they they think that that's all you need to do is just poke and prod and press on these places. They they haven't got the delivery system. And to me, the delivery system is the key. Well, it's exactly yeah, it's exactly what we when we talk about submissions here too is that people always talk about the end game like well here's a submission and we were, I think we were just talking about this last week on the podcast about you got to be able to get to them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And otherwise, so, I mean, you want to work the submissions and practice them, but realize you have to wrestle to get to those positions. You have to control the man. You have to take the man. And that's where the work is. And that's where you have to spend all your training. That's, you know, that's 90% of your training. And then also you have to know the proper way of doing the actual technique once you get there. But yeah, the hard part is getting to them. So the parallel is exactly the same and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm just like, sorry, when when I saw Tony's stuff for the first time, and I remember saying this to Tony. I said, how come you understand, you speak in this, with this terminology of, the, of all these different ways of how the technique works, all the little bits that make it work? Where you, Tony was talking about, you were talking about things like take, the, take this angle and take this 45 degrees and put the weight here and transfer, the, do this, do that. And it was terminology that we used, but I hadn't heard anybody else use. And I remember saying to Tony, where did you... How, do you, how come you use all this terminology? And I'll do the accent for you. There's no other way of explaining it, is there? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I've never heard anybody else use the same terminology that we were using. So from two different eras, using the same way to explain something, I thought either I'm totally wrong and he's totally wrong <laughs> or we're right. We're we're right, and that's the thing. And nobody wants to, or I shouldn't say nobody, but the majority of people don't want to train the boring to them, the setups and the movements and all of that. They don't want to know that. It's yeah, yeah. That's the whole. Nothing's ever going to work. You know that's why 
And I can tell then, I don't care what, what they're like, they could be like the stand up striker martial art person. Now they want to learn the ground. If, if, if they don't want to take the time to do these things that I'm talking about, the non-submission stuff, then I know that their striking is going to be poor too. They're just demonstrators because they, they don't want to do the boring stuff on the feet because there's a lot of boring stuff on the feet too, as you know, right? The movements and the angles and non-striking, non-lethal moves. And that's what makes everything lethal is the non-lethal. I, lethal can't, you know, exist without the non-lethal, I take, I guess, right? I yeah. mean, the most of the stuff I know is like the majority of techniques are, are the majority of stuff is like not the technique, it's to get to the technique. Like, yeah, I mean, right. I, I can't explain it. I can't think of how to put it into words, but that's why uh, we were, we were, yeah, a lot of people just like on YouTube just want to show the technique, show me a new submission or something. And like Eric Paulson was saying last week, even the new submissions aren't new. They're new to these people and they just remarket it or relabel it. But yeah, how do you get to it? You're not going to grab it. You're not going to get it. You don't know how to get it. See, I, I love annoying a lot of the jujitsu guys by saying things like, I know the three locks and I know the strangle and I know the choke. And they go to me, yeah, I know 20 wrist locks. There's more than three locks. I go, well, I only know three. Straight, bent, twisted. That's the three I know. There might be a million ways of doing them, but I only know three, three locks. It's either straight, it's bent, or it's twisted. There's only one strangle because there's only it's only one lot of blood. There's only one choke because there's only one lot of it. A million ways of doing it. <laughs> Basically, doing is pressing, squeezing. Yeah. You can be squeezing with your arm, with your leg, with one arm, one leg, with a baton and an arm, with their arm, your leg, their leg, your arm, two legs, two arms, shoulder, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's still you're still squeezing. There's a million ways of doing it. But once you understand the principle of you're just squeezing and you understand the principle of the lock it's either straight bent or twisted and the you know joint goes good that way so it probably don't go very good the other way so if you bend it the wrong way it's probably gonna hurt <laughs> that's a bad admittedly well, I... that's a very simplified version but what i'm saying is it, it, once you break it down there is only three three locks and i i equate it to math saying you know if you understand how to add up you can then multiply because you know three plus three is the same as two times three. So once you understand those principles, once you've got addition, multiplication, subtraction, and division, you can then get all these different formulas and work everything out for yourself. And that's why I, I like Tony stuff so much because Tony was talking all the formulas as well. So when Tony was teaching a technique, he breaking it down to you need to have this bit of the formula, that bit of the formula, that bit, that bit, that bit, that bit, that bit. And once you understand all of these bits that make the technique work, ta-da, it hurts 10 times more than the other guys, the way the other guy's doing it. And that was, to me, that's what made me go, oh, well, that's the only person explaining stuff the way we try to explain it on the striking stuff. If this bit's right, that bit's right, that bit's right, that bit's right, that bit's right. The punch is powerful, it lands, you're in distance, you protect it. You don't get caught on the way in, you don't get caught whilst the punch is being thrown, you don't get caught on the way out. Got to be a good way of doing it. <laughs> it was the same with the way Tony was teaching the grappling stuff that I was looking at. 
And you just go, well, the parallels are so amazing. That it's exactly the same way of talking. Which is why I said, well, how do you, why do you speak like that? No other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bottom line is there's not a school teacher anywhere on planet Earth that ever taught a student every known word in their native language. They teach them how to read. And then once you know how to read, you can read words that you've never seen before. And you should be able to pronounce them appropriately, unless you're like me. Um, and, and that's with the fighting. I've seen with the submissions particularly, so many people that only know submissions as written, so to speak, right? In this position, they don't understand the submission itself to know how to get it from all different angles or all different uh, points of opportunity. And, and I'm not saying this is every human being out there, but so many that I see. And it's, I've trained enough people, their eyes just pop open. We're like, oh, shit, I didn't know I could get it from here or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, because then they, they just don't understand the underlying formulas and, and, and uh, structure of the submissions or the human body to be able to get it from anywhere. If you can't do that, if you can't understand that, you're, you're just relying on luck. Uh, yeah. And that's why nobody else, is, I don't see people doing it like that. And they should, they really should. No, because I, 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 again, going back on one of your DVD, I can't remember which one it was now, it's annoying. But you, you said something about, you said, oh, you can do it with this. You can put your hand there and do it. You can put your elbow on there and do it. You, put, you can put your head on there and do it. You can put this there and do it. And I'm going, look. And that's one of those ka-ching moments where you go, now I know what it means. Because it was one of these ones of, it doesn't have to be in this place doing it that way, the way we're, you can get that from, from over here, from over there, from over here, from underneath, from on top, from on the side, from here, from there, whatever. And that opened up a whole new, I knew it from striking, but it hadn't gelled with me for grappling stuff until you said that on one of your DVDs. And I go, mm. yeah, so obvious. Yeah, that's the way it is, man. It's, it's because it's the science behind it. Uh, you know, it's physics. And yeah. I don't think people are teaching enough of the physics or the science. They just want to teach a move. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The vast majority of teachers don't understand the science behind it. I'm not saying everyone, but the, yeah. I know the vast majority don't because they're, they're, they're like a fish out of water. When you just rearrange them a little bit, they, they can't figure out how to get back to that spot. Um, it, there's nothing I can do about it, man. I'm one guy and I'm drowned out, but drowning me out isn't going, you, you're, you may be hurting me, but you're really hurting yourself because you're never going to get a little bit, you're never going to get any better. So like, um, I remember with music, there were some guys that were like really beyond me. That's, they were so good. And, you know, I could have easily told everybody, oh, don't listen to this person. You know, to try to keep people from hearing somebody that may have been so great. But really, it wasn't, I might, I might have been hurting that musician by preventing new uh, audiences, but I was really hurting myself because 
I could never get to that person's level unless I accepted the fact that that person was better than me, had something that I strived for, and humbled myself and said, hey, teach me. You know, I need to know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and that's the approach I took. If if that person was approachable, I'm like, I want to learn what this guy's doing. Same with fighting. I want to learn what they're doing. It seems today, or and not just today, today, but the last, Martin and I were talking about this the last 20 some odd years on the internet. People who are forward thinkers, a lot of them just want to kind of bury you and, and, and hide you from the, and, and you know, uh, disregard you just so they can have their avenue of glory. Okay, you got it. You won. There's too many of you. There's not enough of the, of the little guys, but the little guys are always going to be better than you. Okay, and there's nothing you're going to do to change that unless you decide to change your attitude and say, I'm going to learn with these little guys that know more than me. Uh, and that's just how people get better. That's how the world gets better. Uh, and we hear about this. Sometimes it's conspiracy theories. Sometimes it's true where somebody might have a great invention and, you know, big business puts the, you know, they, they stop them. But a lot of times that's this hogwash. But uh, with me, I still see the same style out there of, uh, like Eric Paulson said last week, these people are using our moves, using your moves or my moves or something, and they're relabeling it like they invented them. They didn't, but they're stifling us so they can get the credit. But guess what? They're still not masters of it because we personally, I personally, let's say, didn't teach this guy that. So he doesn't know all the little finite little details. So, yeah, he'll get his moment in the sun right now, but it's going to fail afterwards because he doesn't understand the principles behind it. Yeah. That's yeah. that's life. Yeah. You know. And, and it comes back to what we said earlier, it? about it might look the same, but it ain't. He could be doing a technique that is, let's just say he's nicked from you, but he's not got all the little bits, all the principles in there that you teach. He's only got, let's say for argument's sake, there's 10 little things you've been showing him you should do on that. Yeah. I know there'd be more, but let's say there was 10. He's using five or six of them, but getting the result because five or six is still making it work better than he's ever done it before. But he doesn't know the other four, five, six, seven, eight other principles that you've actually been teaching. Right. But you can look at it and go, well, he's not actually doing it right. Well, I think part of it, at least my interpretation of it, is martial arts has always been bullshit as far as the uh, the secret shit, okay? Everybody, secret, secret, secret. There's no secrets in wrestling, amateur wrestling. There's no secrets in boxing. There's no secrets in music. Uh, you know, there's, there's just no secrets, okay? Everybody knows the same stuff. It's their approach to it. But in martial arts, they have this secret thing. It's like, this is the thing that... Secret moves, secret death touch. And that's what causes all these problems because in an open society, like uh, uh, there would be no, uh, uh, let's say you were a grappling instructor, you would have no problem saying, I learned this from Tony Cicchini or I watched it on a Tony Cicchini video. You That wouldn't harm you. Your student wouldn't dump you for me. They would be like, oh, cool, all right, so that's where you learned it from. But they don't do that in the martial arts, okay? It's just like they want to think that I invented this or my instructor did. It's a secret, ancient Chinese secret. That used to be the the uh, 
television commercial here in, in, in the States in the 70s. Bullshit. Everybody knows this in an open society. You know these moves. But when you keep on hiding stuff, yeah, then you're going to create the actual secret because it shouldn't be that way. But if you're going to turn it into a secret, hush, hush, don't, don't let anybody know where this came from, forget it. So like music is like that. You'll hear somebody do something that you might not have heard before, but you know what they did. You know the underlying theory because there's no secrets in music. The theory is laid out for you. So, yeah, it's... The only secret is, is your lack of knowledge, isn't it? And, and yes. it's not been explained to you. So you... Well, right. For example, you can look at a technique. You can look at a technique. Let's say it's a technique you've not seen before just for argument's sake. Right? Yeah. But you can look at it and you can understand exactly how it works just from looking at it. Because you understand how techniques work, how the body works and how that, and what the end goal of that technique was. You can look at it and go, oh, right, I know how they're doing that. And you can more than likely improve it because you could add other bits to it that you know that how <laughs> to work to improve that technique. Because you can look at, you know, the vast majority, obviously not all, but the vast majority of stuff that's being done, it's not it's not that it's incorrect. It's not done as efficiently as it could be. So you can look at them doing their, let's say top wrist lock again, doing their top wrist lock and know that they're missing four or five different bits that make it better that you actively teach. Well, you can look at what they're doing and go, well, they're not doing that, they're not doing that, they're not doing that. I know it's worked, but it could have worked quicker had they been doing this. But most coaches can't do that. Most coaches don't understand how those little bits that, for example, you might teach on top wrist lock could be applied on the, I'll call it the, the bottom one, the double wrist lock, can be applied on that. The same principles can be applied. They look at it and go, it's a different lock. How could you have the same principles? They don't understand it. Because they're... they're they're technique-based teachers and learners rather than um, uh, rather than principle-based. Once you understand the principles of how it works, you can apply it to lots of other things. The same principles that you have in grappling, that you that are watching you teaching on the grappling stuff I was watching years ago, the same principles of striking. And as far as you know, like when you said take the 45, on, I can't even remember what the technique yeah, I, I, I go well we say take the 45 do your 45 degree angle when you strike it you, your body's at the 45 so thing can deflect off better you're moving this at 45 so you've got a better angle of attack you take you take the 45 it and we have a little blanket term of take the 45 to apply to lots of different things and then you were applying it to lots of different things and that's why i'm saying you know why how do you use this why are you using this terminology and it was same thing. Well, I mean, there's like millions of techniques out there that I don't know or haven't seen or wouldn't wouldn't want to know, you know, yeah. w- would never use, okay? Because uh, it's just not right for me, but my goal is different. Like, there's a lot of sport wrestling techniques. It would be useless for me. I never learned them, didn't want to know them. I will never want to know them for me because yeah. they're pointless, okay? Um, and Joe was talking last week to me about like some techniques that guys are doing like pinning techniques 
that are really literally useless in any sort of uh, non-sport environment. And because they're so focused on that, they've missed the bigger picture and they're getting submitted by jujitsu guys or judo guys or other, you know, like other submission guys because, um, you know, they missed the more important thing along the way. But I can watch what they're doing, whatever the technique is, I can understand it. I may not be able to do it immediately. I'd have to work on it if I wanted to, but most of the time I'm not going to want to do it uh, because my, 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 uh, my end goal, you know, is different. Like Jackie, I always go back to Jackie Chan because I don't follow martial arts that much and he's a big name and he's phenomenal. Jackie Chan does moves that I could never do. Okay. These acrobatic things. I can't do them. It's just not going to happen. Okay, but I do understand what he's doing. I get it. I yeah. understand the mechanics. I can't do it, but if his point is to jump up in the air, I'm just using this as an example. I'm not knocking the guy. I love him. He, he yeah. Jump up in the air and do a spin and kick the guy in the head and knock him out. I'll just find another way to kick him in the head and knock him out. Okay, I can't yeah. do the spins and all of that. I, that's just not me. So, but I do fully understand what he did, the the body mechanics of it, um, because I understand body, body mechanics. Doesn't mean that I can do it, but I, I do understand it. And that, that's the secret, if there is a secret, yeah. to understanding this is the body, learning how the body moves. Yeah, the secret is, is actually taking the time to learn it, to learn and yeah. understand with the coach how things work. So when you just mentioned the pinning stuff, all right? But those pinning, let's say those pinning guys came into your gym and said, "This is what we do, Tony." You could look at it, watch what they're doing, and make it better. Yeah. Well, yeah. make it better as yeah. far as for my purposes, okay? Yes. For but my purposes, and or better for what their purpose as well, probably. Well, perhaps, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but we'd have to know what their purpose is. Yeah. But if it's, yeah. The, yeah. But it's that understanding, isn't it? It's that yeah. understanding of how it works. Whereas most coaches would look at it, and go, "Oh, you're doing such and such pin." End of. They don't understand yeah. how and why that pin is working or not working, or whatever, and how and why to potentially improve it or correct what they're doing because again that people don't coaches today as far as i'm concerned they don't understand the 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 way to correct well look i'm helping a guy out with music right he's i don't want to call him a beginner but theory theory wise he is and uh working on two we were working on a tune a few weeks ago a song that I don't even play. It doesn't matter, though, because I know theory. So mm-hmm. I'm like, here, do these chords. Jazz it up. These are the chords you want to do. Uh, you know, uh, Moon River is a song, you know, classic. And um, this will make it much prettier, and yet it's in his ability level, okay? It's something that I think he can – it's not like a full-blown arrangement with all these flourishes and fancy runs. It's simple, beautiful chords. But I could do that because I understand the theory. Like I could take another song, do the same thing to it, even if I don't know the song. Okay. All I have to do is hear the song, 
then I could say, okay, we could change the chords around, make it a little prettier. Um, and, and that's how you have to be, not you specifically, personally, but generally, as a fighter, as an instructor, you got to know the theory so in and out that you can take anybody and improve them. I've seen old timers that know a lot of shit, but they're not submission specialists that I let it pass because, you know, it's like, okay, they know stuff, but yeah. it's not, it could be better, but who cares? At this point, they're not, they're on their way out. You know, they're not trying to get better. They're just All trying right. to share what they know. And that's fine. So you, like a guy who plays a song, you may not like, you might like somebody else's version better, but you can imp- appreciate what they played, but you personally would like, I wouldn't play it the same way. I would yeah. do it a little differently. Yeah. That's what it's about. But that's because, you know, you have the ear for music, you can figure it out or you have the, you have the eye for fighting. You, you know how to improve it. Um, Joe, you're, you're, you got to get involved today, man. Cause I'm running out of talking. You, come on, man. You're making me nervous today. Cause you're all, you're on your phone all day. You're on your phone, the whole podcast. You're making us nervous. He's texting back saying, I'm not yeah. totally bored today, but. No, that makes me, I know I'm very nervous because I'm watching him and he's constantly on his phone. I'm like, man, come on. No, not get on my next podcast. <laughs> yeah. my next- You're scaring me. No, well, so. We're going to have to wrap it up soon anyway, but we've been on for a couple hours, but ask yeah. away some more stuff with Russell. Well, no, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, Russell's always been a big supporter going way back of the podcast. So I want to thank him again for always being there for us and supporting us and showing up and and and, and having great things to say. So I really appreciate you making the time. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor. The privilege is mine, as I say. Thank you. Well, as it should be, but no, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's our pleasure, man, because you think like us and you're one of us. It's a shame that they never met you. Uh, maybe the, if you ever come to to the states again, you know, stay at my that. place. You know, visa, hang out. I've got, I've got a ten year visa, and I haven't been able to use it. I'm six years into a ten year visa. <laughs> it's America's loss. Yes, <laughs> we oh, have yeah. cheaper Rogaine over here. You have cheaper what? Rogaine. You can grow hair over here for cheap. I've got some. It's just that uh, I was getting to look like a hippie, so I thought I'd better make myself look good for that. It was getting me eyes. Right. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> I'm well, going to get a wig. That's, uh, I'm going to get myself an Italian-American wig so I can... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I know a couple of Italian guys that would wear their toupees, their wigs, and there you could tell them a mile away. It's just like, oh, God. Don't there do it. Guy, you know. There's a guy here well, a good few months ago now, and we call it a syrup, a wig, a syrup. And he had this, this <laughs> a really full head of hair syrup on wig. But it was and it was on a, a bit of a slant. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah. It was slightly over this ear and high up on the other side. Oh yeah. That's like, like you say, it's precision so important. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, you got to have accuracy. <laughs> oh dear, but that was just yeah. Why, why, why? <laughs> well, we look forward to having you again on the podcast. Hopefully, it won't be as long of a gap as this time. But you know, it was great. To have... Podcast. <laughs> well, Martin wanted to be on, so it it was nice because he had some questions, and uh, 
you know, uh, with your boxing and, uh, cause you know, we love that. Uh, and, and Joe loves boxing as well. So it's always a pleasure to have you on, but, um, so I just want to say to everybody, thanks again. And I hope to see everybody here on the podcast, uh, next week. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, I guess we'll go from there. Right, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. I think we might have a guest lined up for next week. And uh, don't forget, we've got some seminars coming up. So stay tuned for those. Usually it's the third week, Saturday and Sunday in November. Yeah. Fenders uh, Martial Arts and Fitness and DuPage Krav Maga. You know, same bat time, same bat channel, I guess. Yeah, for don't the- forget the membership site that you guys can join for 10 bucks a month. Please pick up some DVD or not DVDs, but digital downloads on my website. Try to support the site. That would be that would be great. Uh, and uh, we'll put Russell's links to his products, which are world class. Obviously, you know I recommend Russell. That's why he's always on the show. Um, he's a terrific martial artist and a terrific fighting knowledge. No, you are. And uh, 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 Joe's better looking. Of course, we know that already. But uh, so if you want looks and, and help with grooming and and in your wardrobe and perfume and cologne, you it's Joe Cardinal. But if you want to, you know, learn pressure point strikes and all of, everything like that, you got to go to got to go to Russell Stutley, man. I mean, that's just common sense, isn't it? Yeah, I'll stop it, Tony. There must be millions of people better than that. Well, thousands better than that. Well, hundreds, dozens, a couple, or well, somebody, somebody. Huh? Oh, and all of them. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. And get Thanks Tony's so stuff to his seminars. Thank you, Joe. Get Tony's stuff and go to his yeah. seminar. We got his stuff years ago. It transformed everything we were doing. Get Tony's stuff. End of story. Thank, Thank you, you, Russ. Thank you. See you later. See ya. We'll see- Thank you.